Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Luke chapter 10. As most of you know, we're following through the book of Luke and we have been now for some time and we're in the 10th chapter. So turn there with me to chapter 10 of the book of Luke and let's consider the question that's being asked by this highly educated man of Jesus' day, this Jewish lawyer. And let's consider the possible barriers that are interfering with this man being able to understand one of the most basic and fundamental of all the beliefs that mankind needs so desperately to understand. So follow along with me if you would, beginning of verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. A certain lawyer stood up and he tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What's written in the law? And what is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Folks, there are all manner of roadblocks and barriers that can be erected within our hearts and our minds that are able to keep us from surrendering our souls to our Lord for the eternal life that this man is asking Jesus about. And I'd like for us to spend a few moments today considering those barriers. Some of those may be within your own heart and mind. There was a similar occurrence to this one that we just read about that's given to us in the book of Matthew, chapter 19. That particular encounter involved a highly educated man also, probably also part of the ruling party of the Sanhedrin. Listen to these words. Verse 16 of chapter 19. And behold, a man came to Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one good. If you would enter into life, keep the commandments. And so he asked Jesus, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect... Go and sell what you possess, and then give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now here in these words, that last verse seems to give the reason, that barrier that had been erected within the heart and the soul of this young man. He treasured his great possessions, his wealth and probably also his position in life. And though he seemed to have a real deep desire, an earnest desire to have eternal life, his love for his possessions were stronger. And they were too great of a barrier for him to overcome. And so he sadly turned and walked away. 
Now, while we can't know all the many reasons why people do as this young man did, and they turn their backs to the eternal life that Jesus offers, sometimes it seems that it's just a matter of preference. A simple matter of preference. A person prefers the life and the lifestyle that they've adopted. And they see no reason to change. That's especially a meaningful matter of concern for my wife and me at this time because of a recent loss that we've had of a dearly beloved relative of ours. You might recall that a few weeks ago I mentioned to you about this beloved relative of ours having died suddenly. Though she was near our age, her health had been very good and her death was unexpected. We've grieved for the great loss to her husband, to her children, her grandchildren, and then also to to us personally because we loved her very much. And we grieve also because in all of the years that we knew this dear one, She did not show any outward desires for the things of God, for His salvation, for the eternal life that's spoken about here. She seemed to have no desire for that sort of thing. Now, we of course hope that before she breathed her last, that she did come to a saving reconciliation with the Lord Jesus. But we don't know that she did. We don't know that she did. But listen... One thing we do know for sure, and that is that right at this moment, she does now know all that Christ had offered in his salvation, all that Christ had offered to her. And also, she knows where she will be spending her eternity. All of those thoughts have gone through my mind so often of late. And it brings us back to this passage here in Luke chapter 10, where this man, this Jewish lawyer, is asking that very question about himself, about his own soul, about how and where he will spend his eternity. Now, yes, this passage does tell us that this man was asking this question to test the Lord Jesus. But even so, even so, though he was asking this question to test the Lord Jesus, He was asking the right question. He was still asking the right question. And as I read through this passage several times, I was reminded that sadly, sadly, I had never spoken to my relative about the Lord Jesus and about her eternity. I so wish that I had. I so wish that I had. And I have no excuse. I have no excuse for not having brought this question to her. And again, as I have read through this passage over and over again, it's brought to my mind all the many times that I have engaged other people in conversations with this or a similar question. And I can recall that just as with this lawyer, in some of my conversations, those that I would speak to didn't seem to really be interested in knowing God. They were often instead interested in doing as this lawyer was doing, and that is justifying himself, perhaps validating within their minds that they were okay with who they were and okay with them not becoming what they would call religious. But then 
thankfully there were others that I'd speak to who would ask the right questions about eternal life. And they'd be truly interested in getting to know who the Lord is. And with them, the conversations would go well. But I would know that no matter any of the personal motives of the people asking the questions, whether they be truly interested or not, the real reason that they were there involved in that conversation with me was because God had drawn them to be there in that conversation asking those questions. Now, how do I know that? Well, I base that understanding on several passages in the Scriptures, but especially on a verse that I've quoted for us often of late. And it's John six forty four, where the Lord Jesus says, No one comes to me, no one comes to the Lord Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draw him. No one comes to the Lord Jesus and asks those questions unless the Father has drawn them. And in my conversations, I would also know that regardless of the reason why those folks were asking their questions, it was my duty, my calling to give each of them the gospel. They and God then could do with my words as they chose. But for me, I needed to give them the truth, the truth that is given in these scriptures. And then I'd leave the response to them. And again, yes, there are many personal reasons and motives as to why people ask such questions about God, about salvation, about eternal life. The scriptures tell us that this Jewish lawyer asked the question to test Jesus, to perhaps trick him into saying something wrong. But you'll note, the Lord Jesus was faithful to respond kindly and with truth. And that's what you and I need to be able to do. I have no doubt that the Holy Spirit prompted the next question in that lawyer's mind. It's a question that we'll deal with in next week's message. The question about who his neighbor might be. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? He would ask. And we know that that prompting would bring that lawyer just one more step towards God's purposes for that man's soul. We aren't told what this man did with the truths that he received that day from the Lord Jesus. I really do hope that he did come back at a later time and surrendered his heart to the salvation that Jesus was offering. I have those hopes. I recall one other gentleman in Scripture, Nicodemus. He came asking questions of the Lord Jesus. And then, praise be to God, at the crucifixion, you see Nicodemus. He had come and had, I believe, given his heart to Christ. He was part of the burial of the Lord Jesus. Now, with all of that being said, consider with me for a few moments some of these other reasons why men and women of our day, of our day, don't just go on ahead and freely surrender their hearts to the Lord Jesus. What are the barriers that are erected within their hearts that hinder their progress in believing and receiving the truths of God. And if any of you, listen, if any of you have not taken this step of fully surrendering your heart to the Lord Jesus, what might your reason be? What are the barriers within your life that keep you from taking this step of surrender? As for myself, you might recall that I've mentioned on other occasions that I was 29 years old before I gave my heart to Christ. And I can remember very well how as a teenager and 
a young adult, I kept avoiding all the invitations that some of my relatives gave for me to come to their church. You notice how that takes place? Folks inviting you to church. I love it. But I did not in those days. And my reason for not accepting their invitations was that I simply was not interested. I was not interested. I liked hanging out and having fun with my friends more. Now, often, you won't articulate that as being why. You can think of all manner of excuse, but mostly it's just preferences, and you enjoy what you're doing more than what you would do in going to their church. And also, as for some of my friends who also didn't want the things of God, and most of my friends did not. Many of them had Christian parents who dragged them to church while they were still living in the home. But as soon as they moved out, as soon as they moved out, they stopped going to church. Some of them rejected their parents, and so also they rejected their parents' religion. As I grew older, and as I entered the business world, I observed other young businessmen like myself and businesswomen doing much as I did. It seemed that careers and secular family life got in the way of a relationship with Christ. Weekends were for activities, for fun, for sports, or for just sleeping late on Sunday morning. Another common barrier that I have also observed is one that comes to us from the culture, the culture that surrounds us and influences us today. It seems like never before this emerging social climate, those emerging social issues and political beliefs, they're taking a position in direct opposition to the truths that are being given to us in these scriptures. And that's especially so as it concerns moral issues. Moral issues such as abortion, but also sexual activity. And now especially same-sex relationships, gender confusion. All manner of barriers are being erected for us in our culture. And families, parents, grandparents, in an effort to hang on to family relationships during those kinds of struggles... We parents and grandparents, other relatives. We found ourselves making concessions to those beloved family members who are caught up in those immoral behaviors, hoping to salvage whatever relationship that we can. And folks, when that takes place, when that takes place, choices get made. Choices between the demanding truths that are in these scriptures and the demanding lies that are being forced upon people by the culture. And unfortunately, unfortunately, the demonic power within those cultural arguments is strong. Oh, it's so very strong. And from all appearances within the media, the culture is winning most of those battles. If we are to believe what we hear on our televisions, the culture is winning most of those battles. And when that takes place... When that takes place, many families are left in a state of confusion. And the souls of so many, many are forfeited. And though many of these issues within our families are new to us, 
Folks, they are not at all new. They were not new to the Lord Jesus. He warned us about them. In Matthew chapter 10, listen what he has to say. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Folks, these words, these words of the Lord Jesus, they well describe so much of what's taking place within our families today as we try to navigate our way through all these culture wars. And again, these barriers, they're great barriers. They're blocking the pathway of many, many people of our day in this search for this eternal life that's being spoken about here in this passage. And while, yes, there have been other cultural revolutions that have taken place in our past, and most all of them were in opposition to the moral value systems of the day, but listen, few of them, few of those were as blatantly and unapologetically in defiance of the Scripture values and requirements that are given in these scriptures as are those that are taking place today. And at the forefront of most all of these events of decay within our culture, there seems to be the foolish belief that as a people we have now evolved. We've evolved on past all of those antiquated standards of conduct and behavior that once inhibited us. And now we're able to freely be and to do as our heart desires without any of those cords of moral restraints that once contained us. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul's words to the people in Corinth. They also considered themselves to be highly enlightened and highly cultured. And they had cast off all of the bonds of restraint that were within their lives and They were being driven on by the culture and by self-indulgence. Listen to these words. These are from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Where is the wise man, he asks? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Folks, it seems that we, as a culture, are frantically trying to cast off all the bonds of restraint that once held us back. And they protected us. And we are now choosing the ways of the world to be our guide. You recall that God has given us many forewarnings about the dangers of the ways of this world that there are barriers that are inlaid within this world's foundation that will surely hinder and prevent our reaching on forward for this eternal life that we so desperately need. Listen to this warning in 1 John chapter 2. He tells us there, Do not love the world 
or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of this world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Again, the barriers that can keep us from this precious eternal life that this Jewish lawyer is seeking and that you and I need so very much. There are many. The barriers are many. And most of those barriers can be found within these few words that I just read to you from the book of 1 John. They're in those unholy three. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. And these three are at the heart of this new cultural revolution that's taking place across our land. And not only across our land, but folks, especially within the hearts and the minds of our precious family members. So then, how are we supposed to combat this decaying of our moral values? How are we supposed to dismantle those barriers that are keeping us from that precious eternal life that we so desperately need? There's only one answer. There's only one answer. It is to seek the real truth about all of these demanding questions that are being thrown at us from the only place, from the only place that truth exists. And that is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the truth of His Word. Listen to these precious words given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. These are familiar, but listen carefully to them. There we read... We speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they have known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it's written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, the unsaved, the unbelieving man or woman, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him or to her, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Folks, salvation and eternal life are not part of the natural experience of the human life. Salvation and eternal life are spiritual. There's an impenetrable barrier between those two, between the natural and the spiritual. And no person, no person of their own free will strength is able to breach those barriers. It's only by the power of the, and the presence of the Holy Spirit that all of those barriers uh, to salvation and to eternal life are breached and they're torn down. Now, before we close, and we'll close in a moment, may I make one more plea to each one of us. May I give you a truth that you probably may not want to hear. And that is that contrary to the attitude and the beliefs of this culture today, God is not interested in your or my opinion regarding these matters. God is not asking you and me for our opinion on these matters. 
He does not need your or my opinion. He has set into place His immovable standard. And now, folks, it's all about choice. For you and me now, it's all about choice. And as you and I participate within this culture of this day, you and I will absolutely be required to make choices. And so, as this culture cries out to you and to me to join with them in their behaviors and their beliefs, may I give this clear and plain alternative. It's given to us in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30. And it's the only choice. It's the only choice that will give us the eternal life that we so desperately need. Listen to these words in Deuteronomy 30 and we'll close. There we're told, See, I set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and you shall prosper. And the Lord your God will bless you. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear and you're drawn away, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Therefore, choose life. Let's pray. Oh, dear Father, we confess to you that we are very influenced by the culture of our day. We pray, Father, help us, help us, Holy Spirit, as we deal with these barriers. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.